Welcome back, everybody. To kick off this week's show, we got a new surprise that we're going to be using to kick off every week's show. This list sucks. This list sucks. This list sucks. This list sucks. It sucks. Welcome back to this list sucks. This list sucks, everybody. <laughs> I got so excited about the new theme song that I just about swallowed a couple of different consonants there. This is Mike again. I'm back with JB. JB, what's going on? What's going on, Mike? We're happy to be here. Welcome Super back happy to, this to be list here. Sucks. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, listen, shout out to JB, because what you just heard there, I'm sure that you're astute enough to pick up on the sound and tone and tenor of JB's voice, but that was JB. Obviously. Super high quality musician. <laughs> Speaking of super high quality musician, kind. JB just had a gig this week. How did your gig go? It went pretty well. It was cool. It was uh, the first gig I've played since, at least the first solo gig I've played since March which I'm used to, I'm a full-time musician for the listeners that do not know that. So I'm used to playing gigs several times a week, uh, generally at least three times a week, I would say. So since COVID began in March, it's been pretty slim, which is okay because I'm also an instructor and that's been able to continue. But this was, uh, it was just a fun chance to get out there and it was pretty safe in terms of social distancing and all that. So I felt pretty good about it and it was, uh, it was great. It was fun. Facebook gigs are one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, because I've watched you do live streams on Facebook, and Just that's not fun the same, to see. Yeah, yeah, it's not the same, right? Something about being there with a live audience and connecting with people, you know? Although I suppose if you're Trey at the Beacon Theater, somehow watching um, a comment screen is enough to get him by. Yeah, if I can get myself a massive projector screen like I'm sure Trey has in front of him, <laughs> maybe it'd be the same. <laughs> Might be exactly the same. So... Also, after we recorded last week's show, um, the next morning was a quite early morning because last Saturday was the last drop of Record Store Day for 2020, which was a really, really weird Record Store Day. And um, and so scored some good albums. I got um, I got a Miles Davis collection that was recorded during the Bitches Brew sessions called um, Separate Visions. Super, super solid record. Have you listened to that one yet? I did. Yeah, that's the one that um, I can't. So I also picked up the Grateful Dead box set from 5977. I'm super thrilled to have that. And I made it through one platter on that disc because nice. my wife hates the Grateful I've Dead. I've heard. I've heard. <laughs> so that yeah, got she's mixed not, pretty quick, huh? Yeah, she's not shy of sharing her hatred. And so, um, and so I've made it through the first platter on it. But I'm actually okay with that because they opened that set with Help Us on the Way into Slipknot into a really gnarly franklin's tower hell yeah yeah good old-fashioned help slip franklin's yeah gotta I mean, love it really really awesome and such a weird tone to that recording too it was mm. um i don't know reading through the book you know when you read about a grateful dead show it seems like everything is you know special <laughs> about oh, whatever yeah. night um but the tone on that album is really weird especially relative to cornell the night yeah before. which was literally and they they did release that one right on vinyl yeah, Cornell. They, yeah, Cornell 77 was released, I think, two or three, maybe even four years ago on a different record store day, but it was yeah. also a record store release. And you're saying dramatically different tone? Yeah, I think that. so. Interesting. I think so, because I've listened to Cornell 77 a lot, and this one is just, um, I don't know. It's a different It's a different tone, and part of, it's that, part of it's that jam that they do with Franklin's, too. For it's, sure. It's really cool, though. Really, really good. What's the Miles Davis record like? Is it like pretty similar content-wise to Bitches Brew then? Or is it is it different? You can tell in listening to that album that Bitches Brew, and I don't know how many 
days or weeks they spent inside of that studio, but that studio had to have been something between jazz virtuosity and opium den i'm assuming <laughs> right like some good way to put it yeah some combination of those two things and so this is what i would say is that they went through and listened because they did a cd release of the complete sessions everything that was ever recorded and what it sounds like they did with this record is they just kind of went and cherry picked some some really good stuff. But everything that's not didn't didn't make it on the actual album. Nothing. To be clear. No, right. nothing yeah. nothing from that from this LP that they released last weekend was on the original recording of Bitches Brew. And some of it you listen to and you say, Well, yeah, of course that was recorded at the same time that they recorded Bitches Brew. But yeah. then other stuff is um it's it's different. And it's all just ideas, right? It's all just just jams that they were putting together. Sure. Yeah. Some made the cut. Original jam band. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> situation. I mean, certainly the original just utter fusion of everything. Mm -hmm. You know, of the utter fusion of preparation and the opposite, whatever the what's the word for the opposite of preparation? <laughs> you know, because I mean, that's pretty much what it is. I mean, it's like all these, you know, thousands of hours that go into becoming the level of jazz musician that you you know you were if you were in that studio at that time and then you were just like all right let's just fuck around and do nothing that you know resembles a composed piece of music yeah and uh the most experimental shit that you can imagine and i yeah. and i bitches was on this list somewhere if it if i it's, guarantee it yeah. if it's not after some of the albums from this week i'm gonna would you say revolt <laughs> would you say this list sucks if it's not on there <laughs> would you go that far I would go so much farther than that. I would say that this list, Jesus, I don't even know. Because we're already there for sure with this yeah. list. <laughs> 100%. Now, granted, and we're not even 10 in, 15 yeah, in. Well, yeah, we're. I mean, we're through 15 now, but there's definitely, there's there's plenty to bitch about, which there is with every list, but yeah. particularly with this one. Mm -hmm. Speaking of bitching about lists, I mean, what else? Anything else? I think we get into it. Nothing else is coming to my mind right now. All right. Well, then, back to Rolling Stone's greatest list of 500 albums. As a recap, last week we did 495 down through 491. This week we're starting at 490 going down through 486. And so the first album up on the list from 1975, recorded by Linda Ronstadt, the album titled Heart Like a Wheel. And Rolling Stone staff said, Linda Ronstadt completed her transition from California hippie folk darling to soft rock queen on her chart-topping fifth album, covering Hank Williams, Buddy Holly, Little Feet, and Kate and Anna McGarrigal on the gorgeous title track. Her version of Betty Everett oldie You're No Good ha hits a perfect mix of desire and paranoia, along with being a showcase for Ron Stott's peerless versatility, Heart Like a Wheel is 70s pop rock craft at its sweetest and sturdiest, again, according to Rolling Stone. What did you say? So... <sighs> I don't have like a whole lot to say about this record because on paper, like it's a good record. I mean, it sounds good and I could see myself listening to it, but every single song on the record is a cover. Like she has writing credits on no songs. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. I thought there was one. So there was and like might... one song that I think was written for the record, but she didn't write it. It was written by another guy. Yes. So like, but it other than that one song that was written for the record, but like I said, not written by her, written by a different person. So, like, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Actually, I mean, I liked her voice, and I liked it. It's good songs. 
and I, I could see myself listening to it again, but does it belong on a list like this that's supposed to be, you know, representative of the greatest records of all time? I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd put it on the list. And I know maybe we're a little early talking about that, jumping right into to saying that. But uh, yeah, fuck this record. Get it off the list. <laughs> I don't, um, listen, for me, this record, this it feels like this record landed on the list because you're no good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which again was a cover though. It, right. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they talked about it right there. Um, Kate and Anna McGarrigal. Betty Everett I'm was the, you're, you're the no good, right? Name. Oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm so sorry. Um, I have no clue who Kate and Anna McGarrigal. They I'm were the so ones sorry. that wrote yeah. heart like a wheel. Oh, was that heart like so, a wheel? Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. I didn't pay that close attention to the writing tracks, but what did you think of it though? Did you, did you like the songs? Did you like her voice? Because obviously that's what the sh- whole showcase is. Yeah, I mean it's it's supposed to be a showcase of a of a really good voice, and I I liked her best when um, when she got a little gritty. Yeah, right. Like when the rasp came out in her voice, I probably enjoyed that more than anything else. But in terms of that voice, yeah, it's got some range. You know, she she's got good range and she sounds really good. But at the same time, everything that this album. I feel like should have been ended up on a different album this week. And and I guess what I mean by that is the same critique that I had the last time that we listened to in Bonnie Raitt, right? Yeah. I think Bonnie Raitt had one writing credit on Nick of Time. And this one, we basically got the same thing with Linda Ronstadt. And it's fine to include performers on this list. Right. That's the argument that we have to get to the bottom of. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Is it worth it? <clears throat> to have somebody be a performer. And I think some performers deserve to be represented on this list and listen. Yeah, she probably should. But I also question, does this album make it on this list? If you're no good, isn't released. Right. And I think that's definitely an argument you could make. Yeah. Cause I don't know that it is. Yeah. And furthermore, you know, on Apple music, when you bring it up, they call this a rock album. And when you're no good plays, you're like, okay, yeah. Cause it kind of has like a, I mean, this was before Belladonna. I mean, this was a decade before Stevie Nicks and Belladonna almost. I think Belladonna came out in 84. Yeah. But when I listen to an album like Belladonna, um, Nicks wrote a lot of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And she co-wrote a lot of it with other people, and she had some really good features on there. And I'm hoping that that album is around 300. That would be an appropriate yeah. position, yeah. I would say. I do. Because it's not the greatest album of all time, but... But she wrote some of the songs. Yeah. She, I mean, she, <laughs> so there's that. But so rock album. But I would say there's obviously a lot of country on the record. I so think there's way more. I would country almost on this classify record. it as a country record. Yeah. Um. I mean, the this Hank was, Williams co- covers, um, which I loved, by the way. Yeah, that was the instrumentation on that was great. Uh, the, the pedal steel. Whoever played pedal steel on the record was was really really fantastic. Agreed. Yeah. I will say this though, and you won't, and and I rarely think this outside of country music, but it's funny to listen to a woman sing a Hank Williams song mm-hmm. because she didn't bother to change any of the pronoun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, does that make sense? You yeah, know, and so definitely. it's 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 a song written from a male from a masculine perspective, and and she just sings it true to heart. <laughs> she, yeah, she doesn't, and I, I mean, which I reminds me of going back to Bonnie Raitt last week. Um, she made popular, not that she made it popular, but made it more popular. I guess I would say John Prine's Angel from Montgomery, you know, mm-hmm. which 
so to me, like I was assuming I was introduced to the song first via the Bonnie Raitt, and this is total side uh, offshoot, but whatever. Um, I was uh, introduced to the Bonnie Raitt version first, and I assumed that she changed the pronouns, but it was not the case. Like when John Prime wrote the song, he just wrote it from the he wrote perspective it from an of an old, I'm an old woman yeah. who was raised after her mother. So <laughs> just a little offshoot there. Listen, nothing says versatile songwriting like being able to assume the the opposite sex. Yeah. Right. And that's something John Prine could do just fantastically well. And I'm assuming we'll get into him at some point on this list too. Again, if we don't, it's something akin to a crime. Yeah. So hopefully that does happen. Um, One other couple of, there's a couple of things I'd like to say about this one. Um, There's a Little Feet cover on it that I liked a lot. Did you catch that one? Willin, the song Willin. Is that, okay. Uh Uh-huh. And I was reading, that's a Little Feet tune. And there was something I was reading into this about that which is that uh low lowell george lowell george mm-hmm. i'm not sure i'm pronouncing that right he was a uh, he's from little feet he so he was like playing a demo for frank zappa uh, like i don't know if he was auditioning for the mothers of invention or or something like that but uh so frank zappa like heard him play this song as a demo and then frank zappa went and advised him to go form his own band and so I think that was, and from that, what I could tell, that's what turned into Little Feet. Wow. So just interesting little side story. Man. Right? <laughs> right? Frank Zappa's like, man, listen, you're wonderful, but you got to go do your own thing. Right. And he, and radically successful, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a gift. I, listen, I wasn't, um, I didn't recognize it as a Little Feet cover because I'm not that familiar with the Little Feet catalog. Um it was another one of those songs where I felt like she got more adventurous with her range and what she was doing with her voice. Yeah. And that I found interesting. I also like the fact that it kind of went back to a bluesier, rocky type feel. Yeah. Because basically, I came into this assuming that the that the turds at Apple knew what they were doing when they were classifying this music as rock. <laughs> and so I get You're No Good, and then I get four kind of you know, twangy, more country pop, if you will. I mean, that wasn't really a thing. Oh, yeah, because You're No Good was the opener. So, yeah. That, yeah. That makes me know. think the people at Apple just listen to the first song. And they're like, rock, <laughs> move on, next. <laughs> next. <laughs> we got time for this Linda Ronstadt shit. <laughs> um, so the highlight of this the highlight of this record for me was the James Taylor tune. I, I love yes. that song so much. Um, and I wrote down, though, so while I enjoyed it a lot and it was a highlight, it just had me thinking about how great of a songwriter James Taylor is. <laughs> and I was thinking about James Taylor and not Linda Ronstadt. <laughs> I agree. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I did the same thing. And I and again, this was one that... I, did James Taylor ever record this song? You can close your eyes. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Okay, again, I'm, I don't have enough intimacy or familiarity with that catalog to recognize it. I did it. You know, I only learned of it by the time Via that I got to, yeah, yeah, by the time that I got to the bottom of the song, it usually gets writing credits. And yeah, listen, I'm trying to pay more attention to lyrics too. Yeah, we're which making I'm, an effort. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm genuinely making an effort so that way I can speak intelligently about them. Although, um, listen, <laughs> no, we'll fight. We'll fucking get to Black Flag here <laughs> just a little bit, <laughs> and that is nothing but stacked lyrical content. Um, TV party tonight. I, <laughs> <laughs> no Jefferson. <laughs> okay. Um I listen, I um I didn't add this 
to my digital catalog. I wasn't sad about not adding it and I'm not even digging in the in the in the bargain bin. See, for me this is something a little different. So this I'm not going to add this to my digital catalog and I don't really think it should go on the list. But I feel like it'd be great to listen to on vinyl. So I would love to have it in my vinyl collection personally. Cuz really? I think I I think I like her voice a lot and I think it's all covers but it's really really nice interpretations of all these songs and I just see it sounding good on wax. The warmth of yeah. vinyl would would add character to it. But so, here's my take on that real quick and I'm like I'm not here to convince you but I already own Carol King Tapestry. <laughs> yeah. So you don't need this. Why the fuck would I listen to this when I can listen to Carol King who Oh yeah, she wrote all the shit yeah, on that record. There's yeah. You know. You're preaching to the choir there. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. All right. So Thanks, Linda. Um, thanks a lot, I'm not but keeping, we're moving on. Yeah, and I'm not <laughs> and I'm gonna probably drop you from the list too. But yeah, if this was my list, you would be off of it. Yeah. But don't worry, you're not gonna be alone this week. Yeah. Yeah. You're in good company. Okay, moving on. Number four eighty nine. This is a big one. Okay. So (laughs) (laughs) Phil Spector and various artists back to mono. Um, The recordings were made between 1958 and 1969 uh, as Rolling Stone describes it. When the Righteous Brothers Bobby Hatfield first heard you've lost that love and feeling with partner Bill Medley's extended solo, he asked, but what do I do while he's singing the whole first verse? Producer Phil Spector replied, you can go directly to the bank. Spectre built his wall of sound out of hand claps, massive overdubs, and orchestras of percussion. This box has hits such as the Ronettes' Be My Baby and the Crystals' Da Do Ron Ron, which Spectre called Little Symphonies for the Kids. So yeah, what do you think about this record, Mike? I wrote down 489, Phil Spectre, quote, back to mono, end quote, equals fuck you list (laughs) i can't tell what that means how how do you feel about the record (laughs) (laughs) okay so we talked either the first week or last week about this notion of um what no fuck maybe we haven't talked about this at all compilations yeah compilations we've talked about it yeah 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 yeah, because we talked about it for soweto Yeah. yeah so we talked about compilations for soweto and um and I was all in on Soweto. I mean, a hundred percent all in, just because of the uniqueness of what we were listening to, and the exposure that it was giving to world music, um, so on and so forth. I'm listen. I didn't mince words. Um, I am so fucking far against something like this being on the list. One hundred percent. We're in a total agreement on that. This isn't even just a greatest hits album. This is this is like it's not f- even one artist. It's a million different I- artists. <laughs> This is literally a greatest hits of various artists is yeah. really what this is. And all that they share is a producer. And for the listeners who haven't looked this up, this record is like fucking three hours long. Okay. Seven, 69 songs yeah. spread across five CDs. And 11 years yeah. of, uh, of recording. So, I mean, it definitely captures an era of music. You know, I actually think it captures two eras of music. Yeah, you could argue that for sure. Because it captures that kind of mid to late 50s pop, right? A lot of 
and I don't know the crystals. The crystals were clearly and the runettes and stuff, right? Or would you? Would well, that be the, a little later? The runettes were probably more later towards the end, closer to you know, um, Ike and Tina and the Righteous Brothers recordings that were on there too. I think the crystals were the very beginning. And who else was it? Uh, ben Ben E King. Ben E King. Yeah. Yeah. Ben E King was definitely kind of late fifties in there for as sure. Well. Yeah. Um, was he, what was his big song? Spanish Harlem. Well, Spanish Harlem was the one that I had heard before. He didn't, I'm going to make myself sound like an idiot. He didn't do stand by me. No, no. that wasn't. Who was that? There's an, when a man loves a woman. Is that what I'm thinking of? When a man loves a woman. No, no, for sure. That's not Benny King. No, no? but now you've got me, now you've got me thinking about, um, stand by me. Like who the fuck did? No, if God damn it. Was it How the I fuck right? is that song not on this? So God was it Benny King? Damn it. Yes, it was okay, fucking I Benny sw- King. Yeah, I thought so. God fuck. So then who did When a Man Loves a Woman? We gotta find that out. Cause, fuck cause it's Jesus. something it's not Benny King, but it's some are you looking it up? You want me to look yeah, it up? Yeah, I'll you look got it, it up. God damn it. <laughs> That's even more confounding though, that you put a song oh well Michael Bolton recorded When a Man Loves a Woman. No, that's a cover. <laughs> <laughs> thought you were serious for a second. <laughs> it's a uh, because it I was, was Muscle Shoals. It was a uh, it was one of the original Muscle Shoals recordings, right? We're looking stuff up, listeners. Percy's, Percy's <laughs> Percy Sledge. Sledge. That's who it was. Okay. All right. Was it at Muscle Shoals? Does it say? Oh shit. I didn't. Di- I didn't dig that deep into this. Into this. <laughs> I was. I was more curious because obviously, for everybody that didn't know, now you do. Whenever you Google "When a Man Loves a Woman," of course Michael Bolton comes up. Yeah, <laughs> or the movie. Isn't there a movie? <laughs> <laughs> so "Stand by Me" was Benny King, and why yes. is that song not on this record? That's a good question. I don't know. Maybe Phil Spector wasn't the producer of that song. I don't That's know. the only thing that I can think yeah. of, and and quite frankly. Listen to Spanish Harlem and then listen to Stand By Me and you be the judge of how amazing and spectacular Phil Spector is. Yeah. And so for me, I just don't really dig the whole wall of sound thing, which I wasn't really introduced to until maybe the first episode of this podcast. I think I asked Mike about it here on the podcast and he explained it and it's been bugging me ever since because we talked about the Let It Be Naked and I went and listened to that, and I'm like, fuck, that is so much better. It's spectacular. It's it? way better. Yeah. And I was like reading that Paul McCartney wanted to do that whole, he did the whole record uh, naked because yeah. he thinks that Phil didn't really capture the sound they were actually looking to go after. And it's like, well, well then why is anybody hiring this Phil Spector motherfucker? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, um, it is. I mean, listen, when you when you look at it over the length of time that, that it went over and just how insidious Phil Spector's wall of sound was across insidious. all That's these... Insidious, a good diff- word for it. Yeah. No, because that is, right? Yeah. Like, if you take a record like Let It Be and the producer's like, no, 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 no. We got to just add a whole bunch of noise to this. <laughs> Get Phil in here now. <laughs> we need Phil Spector. Right? Where's Phil? I mean, that's, you know... So so from that standpoint, I mean, listen, he definitely created a really unique sound. It was representative of some time. But but this is the thing that really stood out to me when it comes to this record. And this tells you everything that you should really remember about Phil Spector. Less so the sound that he created. The 10th track on this collection, I don't know if you picked up on this, 
a song by the Crystals entitled "He Hit Me." Okay, yep, totally. It felt like a kiss. So that's something I was going to bring up was just the lyrical content. I mean, Phil Spector just seems really creepy, just based on the type of music he's like promoting. Yeah, and, <laughs> and how about the events of his real life? Which yeah, right? I mean, yeah, are reflective of that. <laughs> and the craziest part about it is when I was listening to the lyrics of this song, I a couldn't believe what the what the fuck I was hearing because it's time. a song you know sung by women where the lead singer basically tells the tale of she went to her boyfriend said man I'm sorry I cheated on you he fucking socks her and she's like well you know I deserve that yeah and she said it felt like a kiss yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right not, not only did I deserve it but it felt like a kiss honey <laughs> So when you go out and when you know how that should feel. No, when you look at the when you look at like the brief descriptions of these songs under this album, it said something to the effect of, um, yeah, this was actually a radio single, but it didn't get too much airplay because some people felt like it was controversial because it might be, um, you know, um, misogynistic or well, just um, endorsing domestic abuse. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so even in the 1950s, people knew that. If you're getting punched by your boyfriend or by your husband, it probably shouldn't feel like it is. Do some reevaluating yeah. of that. Yeah. And we sure as hell shouldn't be singing about it. So, um, I mean, I think it harkened back to, there are, uh, the one good thing I would say about it is that it harkened back to a time of pop music where that was, where the chord progressions were a little more harmonically interesting. Just for me as like a musician, like a little more jazz vocabulary was used and stuff. So it's not like I just hated it. And just the era of music in general, I don't have bad things to say about it and it, you know, highly influential, but it's like, does a record like this belong on this list? The other point is, so it's representative. It's obviously on the list because of they're just celebrating Phil Spector's contribution to pop music in general. But you could either argue that that's on the list because of Phil or just because of the influence that all these songs had. But it wasn't released. This record wasn't released until 1991. So yeah. what influence did this particular record really have if it wasn't released until 1991? This is at best, this is at best a nod to an era. And to me, if you're talking about the greatest 500 albums of all time, Pick I got one of those albums and put yeah, it on the list. That's exactly right. Especially, especially when you have the Everly Brothers on here. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. You could have. Maybe we'll see one of those albums on the list, but. And one other thing for me is I have this thing about Christmas music that I'm sure a lot of uh, people will share my opinion of, which is that I don't fucking want to hear Christmas music before Thanksgiving. Okay. I'm okay with it after Thanksgiving, but here I am sitting in my kitchen doing the dishes with my headphones on, on October the 28th and I'm fucking assaulted by white Christmas. <laughs> so yeah, that pretty much did it for me. Well, and it's not just it's not just one or two either. I there mean, were like twelve Christmas yeah, songs on because this. Because think about um even today, right? Like when you wander around to Walgreens or some shit after uh. Thanksgiving, every <laughs> once in a while, you're gonna hear one of these songs and you're just like, Wow, did I did I go is this a Rexall drugs? Like did I just go back in time fifty years? <laughs> and it's probably one of the goddamn songs. They on probably this have this record on playing there. A hundred percent. I would say. A hundred percent. Um so yeah. Um it's off the list for me. Oh, 100% it's off the list for me. Luckily, I didn't even have to think about would I add this to my digital library because the only way I could listen to this piece of crap was through YouTube 
Yeah. Um, somebody did go through the trouble, bless your soul, of creating a Spotify playlist. But listen, don't just don't waste your time. And also, I simply didn't have the uh, memory space for it. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing as it's three and a half hours long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this was never released on vinyl, thank God. Um, so I'll never be tempted to, um, I don't know, that, Yeah, just throw it across a record store out of anger for it even existing. Well, our feelings are pretty unanimous on this one. Yeah. Let us know what you think, though, guys. If you guys feel differently, send us an email. Good time to put our email out there again. Remind the people. Our email is thislistsucks at gmail.com. Yep. We would love to hear from you guys. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know if you have uh, a different opinion on this record, if you love Phil Spector. (laughs) Actually, maybe don't email us about that. But anything else, please reach out. We would love to hear from you. Yeah, you can also drop us a message if you go to anchor.fm forward slash this list sucks. That's kind of the anchor homepage to the podcast. And there's a link there that you can send us a message if you want to do that too. So feel free. And if you got um, if you got some worthwhile input, even if it's not worthwhile, we'll at least make fun of you a little even bit. Even if you just want to say hi. Yeah, you can say hi. Yeah. Hi. We might, we might answer you. <laughs> All right. So 489, um, Phil Spector can just crawl back into his cell um let's jump down to four is he actually in prison no he's dead right i don't want to speak out of turn hopefully he's either dead or in prison yeah just such a weird guy such i mean movies have been made about how weird he is you know okay have they really because that's what i was thinking i was like someone needs to make a movie about phil Spector. they did and if i remember correctly it was streaming on hbo for a long time Mm. and i want to say it was i think it was al pacino that played phil Spector. oh man yeah. Don't get too excited though. Sometimes Al sometimes Al Pacino just has to work. You yeah. know what I'm saying? He needs a little bit of a paycheck sometimes. <laughs> um Hey, you want to go on? Yeah, let's move on. What oh. what's four eight? Is it my turn? Four eighty eight? No, it's my turn. Okay. I'm so excited about yeah. this. Okay, so four eighty eight. The next album recorded in nineteen sixty nine. It is the self titled debut from the Stooges. Obviously the Stooges. As Rolling Stone indicates, um, fueled by, quote, a little marijuana and a lot of alienation, end quote, Michigan's Stooges gave the lie to hippie idealism, playing with a savagery that unsettled even the most blasé club goers. Ex-Velvet Underground member John Cale produced a primitive debut wherein, amid Ron Asheton's Wawa Blurts, Iggy Stooge, nay, James Osterberg, snarled seminal punk classics such as I Want to Be Your Dog, No Fun, and 1969, Bedrock's examples of of the weaponized boredom that would become a derejour punk posture. What do you say? I loved this record. Okay. And so there were two records for this week that I, that were real highlights for me. And this is one of the two. And I think that this one heavily influenced the second one. I would have to probably say, Holy shit. Um, I can't, I, I, oh, wow. The second one is more wow to me, but, um, but listen, I've, um, I just listened to this record again today yeah. and it had to have been at least my, it was at least my fifth go through. And I am, you know, kicking myself in the ass because I really haven't delved into the Stooges in the past. I mean, I've been aware of them, but it, they've never really been something that I've put a lot of time into. And you know, this, is, this was a great record. So, I mean, same I liked season. everything about it. It just had this certain vibe, um, which I kind of feel the same way, but different vibe with the, with the other one that I'm talking about. But this just it just dripped of just straight rock and roll. It was just raw. It was dirty. Um, I love Iggy's voice so much. Um, it's not what I was expecting. No, his voice or the record. 
everything. Everything? All of the above. Yeah. I mean, when I started out, I kept thinking Mick Jagger at first. Did you get that vibe at all? No. 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 I, I was never thinking Jagger only because you definitely hear what becomes Iggy Pop. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because this you is can, early. This is like the first one. Yeah. This is their debut. Yeah. So, yeah. And and I mean, j- even just looking at the cover art, I mean, you know that it's Iggy Pop, but it's a really, really youthful, young version of Iggy Pop. For sure. You yeah. know. And so you get kind of that raw youthfulness that I was not expecting. And what really blew me away, and I'm the same with you, right? I've never dug into the Stooges. I've seen them as influences, but just never thought that I would really dig it. But man, I got to tell you that the tone of the guitar throughout this entire album is just so it it's um, it transports me yes. right, to a place where I'm like, I wasn't alive, but fuck if I don't want to be alive. It makes and, you feel like you're there. Yeah. So I actually wrote his name down, Ronald Ashton, because he was a huge highlight of this record for me. It's just like nothing about his guitar playing was was like clean or precise Mm-mm. whatsoever. No, um, kind of reminds me a little bit of in 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 that sense of Jimmy Page, because like a, a lot of like Jimmy Page stuff is very very imprecise and very like you know dare I say sloppy, but in a good way. In, in I thought a, you were gonna say the other Jimmy from this era. Because the other Jimmy is also not, like, not you know, I, um, I'm trying no, to for th- sure. I'm trying to think about who would have been an extremely, like, there was no such thing as a real technical guitar player. In this age? Was there? I'm sure there was. I mean, I'm sure there were people doing it, but for whatever reason, it wasn't. I almost think that I almost think that you can hear more kind of technicality maybe in an Allman Brothers type of band. For sure, because it's a cleaner sound. Yeah. It's more... More precise. I mean, it's still raw, but yeah, there's just a certain vibe to this to this guitar player, and this it, it just it, you can just basically tell his attitude from the way he's playing, a hundred percent. Yeah, and it's just yeah. I mean, I it's, it's just like it's, pure emotion he's putting into his playing. Everything the whole time listening to it, all I all I could think about, and I made these notes multiple times, is that I love the sound of a fuzz guitar. Yeah. Because that's what this is, right? Yeah. I well, mean, Fuzz was the original. So, like, f- for the non-guitar players out there. Um, Piss break for you non-guitar players out there. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of, like, grit or dirt in a with a guitar player, which is, you know, an effect that they add to their to their signal chain. That, you know, when you, when you hear, like, a rock guitar, it sounds distorted and overdriven. So, Fuzz was the original fuzz came first and then overdrive and then like distortion later on. So, um, a lot of this early stuff is definitely just fuzz, you know, which is what, you know, Hendrix made very popular was the, was the fuzz stuff. And this is obviously the same era. Um, so it's just, you know, definitely the fuzz sound. It also sounds like it's being played. It doesn't sound like it's being played through like a 10 inch driver and, and it sounds like it's being played through a much bigger, the guitar, you mean? Yeah, the guitar. Yeah, it sounds pretty fat for sure. Yeah, in a good way. In a in the best possible way, yeah. right? In the best possible way. I loved the bass on this album too. I probably <sighs> loved the bass on, you know, on the next album a little bit more, just in terms of like kind of classic funk bass, if you will. Um, yeah. Yep. 
Um, Anything that you recognized when you were going through this? Because, like I said, it was your first listen. It was song my first wise, listen. Yeah. I want to be your dog for sure. Okay, so where one. did you recognize it from? I or just, had you I, heard it before? Oh, I just knew the song. Yeah, for, I, I don't know. That's the one. That's the only song I knew, though. Did you not know that one? I did, but I didn't even know that it was a Stooges song. Yeah, I think I, I feel like I did know, but I feel like I knew it because of uh, like when I was playing in a garage band in high school, one of my friends was like, we're going to play the Stooges <laughs> song. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And uh, that's that. I, I, maybe I'm making that up, but I'm pretty sure that's what that's from is how I uh, was originally exposed to it. But now, I, I do like that song. Now that you mention guitar band, guitar hero. Maybe I once too played a Stooges song. Yeah. But for me, as soon as, um, okay, so the song starts, right? And there's almost like ambient noise. And then you get that guitar, right? Like, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. like that original guitar riff that kicks in. And as soon as that happened, granted, this is five o'clock in the morning, maybe 545 in a hotel room when I'm listening to this kind of taking notes. Um, Damn. I immediately thought to myself, fuck, I've heard this before. And I wrote down, I, I wrote down that I then had to scribble out Tarantino movie because it sounded like a Tarantino movie. And I oh, thought 100%. for certain yeah, that that's very, I, th yeah. I thought a hundred percent that that was used in a Tarantino movie that I just wasn't coming around to. But it's not. Did you look into it? I, fuck yeah. <laughs> Dude, I was going to go crazy if I didn't look into it. Yeah. So yes, and it wasn't Tarantino. They actually used this. The movie that I saw it in was Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, which was um, Guy Ritchie's first kind of mm. like bigger comedy. I haven't even seen that, but I would guess it's been used in more than one movie. Did, did you look that up at all or was that pretty much it? Um, well, that's assuredly where I heard where it. Where you heard because, it originally. Yeah, because as soon as I saw the movie title, I thought to myself, holy shit, you know, yeah, that's it. And then I, and then I went back to my notes and I scribbled out Tarantino and I wrote it. It I seems like a perfect stock. fit for a Tarantino movie, though. It does. I mean, it sounds like... In film number 10. Is that what he's on now? Number 10? I think he's on... I think, I think he's got two more. I think he's got nine and then 10. So, yeah, Quentin, if you're listening to this... Put it on number yeah, 10. I think number nine was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So he's right. only got one more? Yeah, I think so. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, what did you think about We Will Fall? No, I was about to ask you that. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. You got to go first. Okay. So it, in my mind, I was immediately drawing comparisons to Frankie Teardrop. Because <laughs> that was the other 10 minute fucking uh, song. Um, this one was just world's more enjoyable to me. Uh, I mean, remarkably different. Yeah, t totally different. I mean, but uh, it was super spooky. It was like there was some kind of, was that a different language? Do you know, like the chanting that was going on? It, um, it, they were just nonsense words. That was not all it was. It was just made up words. I mean, okay. I couldn't find anything. And I, listen, I didn't do hours of research on this, but I couldn't find anything about if that was, yeah. you know, like Hindu words or Hindi words or anything like that. I thought it was really, really interesting song. And I, I found myself enjoying every minute of, it and I wasn't bored at all. Like I sat there, I wasn't doing anything else either. I was literally sitting down dedicatedly listening to this record. And I just, I wasn't bored at all. I was actually kind of bummed out when it ended. I was like, they could have made that a 15 minute track. Um, <laughs> so for those who are not familiar, it's like this weird rhythmic chanting combined with like a, almost like sitar like drone track going on in the background mm -hmm. and then just straight up like wah wah rock and roll guitar like Jimi hendrix style wah wah guitar so like that's just you know an interesting combination 
<laughs> well, and it doesn't stop either. No. Because because when it first kicked on, I like I kind of thought that all these songs would be two to three minutes, assuming that this was going to be a punk record. Yeah. Which, by the way, influenced probably... I mean, obviously, the Stooges were some punk influence, or at least I think that they were. But listen, Yeah, they this definitely is, were. This is not a punk record, though, at no, all. Because this is before the punk movement. 100%. So this is... Uh, I actually looked it up. They would classify this as proto-punk. And what that is is like garage rock that inspired the punk movement, basically. Or was like a... Pre maybe not inspired, but... I mean, definitely did somewhat inspire, but was yeah. a predecessor, would be a more correct way to put it, to the punk movement. Because this was probably, you know, a good five years before, at least before what you would actually consider punk movement, right? Yeah, I, six, I mean, 69. 69. So this is... They call it proto-punk, and it's just garage rock. yeah. And and it's even raw. the even the punk that I think of is not necessarily like the first punk, right? Because I've never dove into um, Sex Pistols, which I know at some point in time we're gonna get. I, I got to oh, imagine sure. we're gonna get. Yeah, we're never gonna mind get the, the Sex Pistols. We're gonna yeah. get the Ramones. We're gonna get the Clash. Yeah, and I just and I hadn't necessarily ever dug into any of that. Um, so it was. Um, I mean, for me, I, like there was a point in time in We Will Fall that I was kind of expecting the song to turn in yeah. some way. I wasn't upset that it didn't turn, but it's to, listen. It's a it's a marathon of almost Gregorian chant. Yeah, um, and the clapping it's kind of cracked me up because I was thinking, you know, they I don't think they could easily. It's not like they had you know, advanced computer editing technology back then in terms of recording. So I think that this guy just clapped for 10 minutes straight. Whoever was, you know, <laughs> was recording this, I, I was thinking about that while I was listening to it. Yeah, I, I like, kind of think... hands are probably getting tired. <laughs> I kind of think the same thing. I also wrote down, um, you know, lyrically, the song sounded like it was probably about heroin or something. Which like, one? We will fall. We will fall. Okay, still talking. Yeah, about just because just if you if you read the lyrics, they're just, um, I don't know. It kind of sounds like some Lou Reedish Velvet Underground not so thinly veiled references to basically getting really fucked up is what yeah. it sounds like to me. And I didn't realize until you read the description that uh, an ex-member of the Velvet Underground was the producer. Was the producer of it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty interesting. Um, there was clapping on most songs. What do you think of the clapping? Do you have an opinion on I that? I liked the clap track. I did too. I mean, I, I was a big fan of it because I made note of it in multiple songs too. Yeah, and I also w was looking into that, and apparently every band member contributed clapping to the record. Yeah, no fun. Um, I really, really loved that track of no fun. Um, to me, Iggy Pop almost. I wrote down he kind of sounded like Eric Burden to me a little bit mm. on that track. Like I loved. I really. I really, really loved and was shocked and surprised by the tonality of Iggy Pop. Yeah. I mean, I really was. And so when you combine Definite that with highlight. all the other sounds on this record, um, yeah, I just I just kept listening to it. What did you think of Real Cool Time, which was essentially the simplest booty call song ever written? <laughs> I don't know if you remember that one, but yes. the, the extent of the lyrics to that song were like, hey, I'm going to come over to your house tonight you know what I want to do? We're going to have a real cool time. And that, <laughs> that was like the whole song. Um, I did enjoy that song because I felt like um, the bass, I mean, the bass on the whole record was really, really good, but particularly on that song, I enjoyed the bass and drum tracks a lot. Yeah. Um, Agreed. 
I loved the drums on Little Doll. Which oh, was, I wrote the same thing down. Yeah, yeah, I fucking loved the drums a lot on Little Doll because it was super Tom heavy. In my like the the drummer was using a ton of toms and not as many, not as much snare and cymbals. Yeah, which I thought was just was unique and it would you know added to the overall vibe for sure. Yeah, and I, and I also felt like. Um, if you take away any one of these pieces on an individual level, this band just fucking totally falls apart. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. It was, it's like, this is another one of those where the sum is assuredly greater than the individual parts. Yeah. Cause a lot of times I say that you can take away the lead singer or the, or the guitar player. Cause mm -hmm. to me, and I am speaking from the, the position of being a guitar player. That's like what I do for a living. And I will flat out say, you can take me away and people think that, that what they like people when they go see a band they they think that they're really enjoying the guitar player but really they're enjoying the rhythm section you know yes and the guitar player is like the frosting on top of the cake so it's it really inconsequential for the most part and it just is like just spices things up it's all really all it does it's not the foundation of what's happening it's not what's making you dance yep um and the same for the singer somewhat maybe a little less so maybe the singer is a little more important but um yeah because but, it listen it's it's tough to replace a voice just ask the fucking dudes from journey right <laughs> yeah they found a suitable replacement for that they did i mean a couple of different times but yeah you know but not yeah that's a good no do. definitely a challenge i'm sure yeah but uh on this one yeah you take away the guitar and it just loses loses a lot i mean because he was a definite highlight for me and uh, a huge part of the overall you know just what unapologetic that's the word i was looking for just unapologetic vibe it's just just raw unabashedly you know dirty rock and roll 100 percent. yeah i mean just really classic too mm -hmm. like a timeless sound that yeah i this is a record i'll probably go back to i'll go back to the well on this a lot um i've already added it to my, to my digital collection and shit if i can find this on vinyl even a re i don't care reissue vinyl. like i am i am all in because yeah. talk about warmth right like this album on vinyl the bass and drums and that fuzz like i love love a warm fuzzy guitar yep i 100 percent agree so so now, this one for me is also it's staying on the list and it is uh i will, I will definitely buy it on vinyl if i come across it yeah yeah and it's staying on the list too in fact there, it wouldn't surprise me if i want to push this album up after we get some more mileage down the road. For sure. I mean, this is pretty close to the bottom of the list. So, I mean, we're still in the opening stretch of this. So, yeah, I could see this needing to move up, in my opinion, too. Yeah. And before we jump out to 487, just a note on that dog shit Phil Spector collection. If anybody does <laughs> go back and listen to it, I mean, I mean, listen, we were just we just got done talking about the rhythm section and heaping a ton of praise on the on the rhythm section for the Stooges. That is one thing that I will say unequivocally about all of those fucking songs on that Phil Spector greatest hits of greatest hits is that though like the studio musicians, right? So good. Yeah. We are not trying to belittle their contributions no. at all. Yeah. I mean, and especially because I got to imagine that a lot of those guys were probably used interchangeably, you know, across all these artists because of Spectre is a producer, you know, I'm sure that he's bringing in his guys to yeah. remake all these sounds. And listen. yeah, we should make that really clear. Like I assume I'm speaking for both of us. Like we're not talking about the actual artists and the songs, like the songs are, the songs are good. We're talking about Phil's contribution. Do we really want to celebrate it at this level? And does this kind of record 
belong on the list. It yeah. being a compilation album of you know of many different of, of artists, but the the music was good. That's not we're not tearing that apart. It, well, are you with me on that? Yes, and yeah. it's not. And I mean, listen, and I would even go so far as to separate. Like what I'm speci- what I specifically think is worth listening to there are the studio musicians that were backing the vocals, right? Yeah. Because because when Phil Spector was making all that, he just like he was looking for specific vocal qualities, and he didn't give a shit about anything else because he knew that he could hire the best studio musicians to come in and make whatever sounds he wants them to make. And yeah, he, and he was right. He was right. He had, but I don't like the philosophy. Fuck you know? no, I don't either. And uh, I meant to mention this, so like we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I, I do want to mention this one thing about the wall of sound is that I was reading about his opinion on it, and it just made me not like him even more, which was that he said that this is like a quote from him that even if the material is weak, you can still make it sound good with, with his wall of sound technique, which is basically, um, just to reiterate it for those that don't know, it's it's basically using all kinds of instruments to create a backdrop for the for the song so it's like putting you know using orchestra or horns to just create a like a literal wall of sound that that is backing up what's going on and that was his whole opinion was that he could take material that he didn't think was particularly strong and still make it sound good on a jukebox which is really <laughs> what it what it was and so like fuck you phil like we're here to make good music <laughs> speaking of fuck you yeah let's do 487 487 black flag damaged from 1981 <laughs> here's the description MCA refused to release this album, <laughs> denouncing it as immoral and anti-parent. High praise, but Black Flag lived up to it, defining LA hardcore punk with Greg Ginn's violent guitar and the pissed-off scream of Henry Rollins, especially on TV Party and Rise Above, which came with the timeless Smash the Glass salvo, We are tired of your abuse. Try to stop us, but it's no use. Punks still listen to Damaged, and parents still hate us. Hate us. Hate it. <laughs> parents still hate it. Okay, so before we started the podcast here, I told Mike that there was one record this week that I listened to twice, and it wasn't the Stooges. He probably thought it was. Oh, I but- <laughs> totally thought it was the Stooges. <laughs> it was Black Flag Damaged. I listened to it <laughs> like two and a half times, actually. So, can I? Okay, what was your opinion on this one, listen, Mike? Listen, um... <laughs> Um, so I listened to this album. I listened to it twice. I did like a cold listen and then I went back and I listened to it again so that I could take some notes on it. And um, I understand why it's on this list because um, I like I like a lot of West Coast punk and I really hope that we get to see some no effects on mm-hmm. this I'm album. I'm sure we will. I, I really hope that we do because to me, that's what I heard with Black Flag, only I heard a version of no effects where all of the musicians didn't really know what they were doing, but they knew that they wanted to make music. With Whereas, Black Flag, that's what you heard? Yes. Yeah. Whereas No Effects are super talented musicians that want to make punk music. Yeah. No, for sure. And the reason I like this record so much was, first of all, it's basically absent of, of melody and harmony entirely. <laughs> so, I mean, like almost... There's none of that, okay? But it's just 100% about the energy and about the attitude. And I just, I, I thought it was great. I thought, for me, it was like every aspect of 
of the recording added to the vibe that it was putting like like nothing was like it was very cohesive it was like you know sloppy frantic like flailing guitar solos um you know really simple rebellious vocal like lyrics um and just hardcore fast fucking punk drums rollins voice it was just everything just added up it was it was so cohesive and I I was just going to say, you mentioned Henry Rollins' voice, and it's crazy to me that I like I remember I remember listening to Rollins' band when Rollins' band was a thing, and I thought to myself, wow, this is really crazy. This guy kind of, like, he talks a lot. He's not always singing. and Almost and never singing, right? Almost. I mean, almost never it's singing. It's more just yelling. <laughs> well, I didn't. Which I love. I'm, I didn't, I'm not I berating didn't realize it. that. He's always been that way. Yeah. Does that make sense? Because I'd never been exposed to Black Flag. I'd never listened to Black Flag. And so I just assumed that I just assumed that it was fucking loud, kind of noisy punk. Which it is. But at the same time, this is Henry this is this is not this is the same Henry Rollins. You know, Henry Rollins, yeah. I don't think, really changed. Yeah, I agree. very much at all. I mean, he changed who he was playing with, but I don't know that he changed much more than that. What I will say that I 100% loved about this is the tone of this bass guitar. Oh, so good. Is, yeah. Well, it's so fucking great, but it's also this blueprint is how punk basses should sound. And it's how most of them do sound. Yeah. And it was a kind of a theme throughout the record that a lot of the a lot of the songs started with the bass. Did you notice yes, that? A hundred percent. Like at least five or six. Like mm-hmm. something that enough to note it. That I, I wrote it down. That a lot of them were, and it was just all the bass was distorted too. Which a lot of times, you know, you you have a distorted guitar, but you don't have a distorted bass. Sometimes you do, but you know, a lot of the bass on this record was heavily distorted. You know. Yeah, but it, um, to me. Sometimes, especially if you get into like really hardcore, um, like some of these death metal bands that are really overdriving bass or even some of these gent bands that are playing with like a really, really overdriven bass, it takes away from, I don't know, there's, there's a, you can, you can go too far. It can muddy things up. Yeah. Because the bass is so much the foundation of what's going on that if that's distorted, the whole situation can can you know fall apart, but I didn't think that happened here. No, not at yeah. all. And I and I think some of the more modern stuff that I'm more critical about that distorted bass sound. They're also using a lot of drop tuning too. You know, for like sure. You've got five string basses that are drop tuning into a into a fucking A where it's like. And I don't know if they did that here or not, but. No, I don't. It didn't sound like it. It didn't sound yeah. like it to me. And quite to frankly, a, you mean, yeah, because well, like defi- drop a shit. Yeah. Well, they definitely weren't. They definitely weren't dropping that low. I, but I didn't even think that I heard any drop D tuning. No, I agree with you. you but know? I was just commenting on. Yeah, that's nuts. That bands do that drop a stuff. And they do. Yeah. No, they really do. And then they distort it on top of it. So you're listening to just like the most insanely muddy. You literally have to use like sound. different. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. You literally have to use like different strings to, to tune to drop A. <laughs> yes. Like you have to thicken up your strings because otherwise it's just going to be it's like a. It's too floppy. You know, yeah. like <laughs> so. the wave gets too fat, right? Yeah, like literally exactly. the sound wave gets too fat. But um, 100%. Um, the, yeah. I just, this just album just reeked of, you know, youthful energy and it was just 100% about that. So like I abandoned any need for melody 
and har- <laughs> like I said, harmony in this because there was you don't you don't go into listening to Black Flag expecting that that and you shouldn't. You know, if you do, you're fucking up. <laughs> you're listening to Black Flag for one thing, and that's like the, the the pumped up feeling that you get when you listen to it, and you want to fucking you know go hang out with your friends and and drink some beers and listen to the, watch the Jack uh, the Jeffersons. You know, <laughs> that's there's a song called TV Party on the record that's basically they just scream out TV shows that they like. <laughs> Monday Night Football. Yeah, <laughs> it's the awesome. Jeffersons. It is actually, and um. So again, trying to explore more lyrical content, that was a song that I paid close attention to the lyrics on. For sure. Because it's really fun. They, they spend the first two-thirds of the song talking about all their favorite shows and how much fun it is as long as they got some beers just to sit around and watch some TV. That was a theme. Yeah. But then the third, like the last third of the song was basically... Our fucking TV. I can't remember if the TV the got stolen. Broken. Or yeah. if the TV's broken. <laughs> TV's not working. <laughs> and they're like, there's no fucking Monday Night Football. Yeah. There's no Jeffersons. <laughs> and a couple songs. It's just a couple songs before that was was Six Pack. The song Six Pack, which it was like, I got a six pack. I got nothing to do. <laughs> but that's okay. Cause as long as I got a six pack, I'm yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Which I it just was, love it. It's, which it's, it's awesome. It, listen, it's fascinating to hear Rollins sing that song because Henry Rollins is pretty famous for being like kind of a square. Yeah. You know, a like, little bit. I mean, that's what I, something I was also I was going to mention. It was it's just so interesting to see the progression of Rollins career and that this is where it, it all started, you know, because he's a crazy motherfucker. I mean, he's just, he comes across as a square because he works so hard, you know, and he's very, you know not non self-indulgent i guess i would say you know he's yeah. pretty much he's pretty disciplined super disciplined but he does some crazy things you know like the place the parts of the world that he goes to or you know he takes some serious risks with his own life yeah and uh it's, and just listen just a remarkably thoughtful dude too yeah i mean there's i think there's two or three podcasts from joe rogan that are amazing listens if you that where Henry Rollins is on the show. Yeah. If you've never checked out Henry Rollins spoken word. That's what I was going to just mention. Fuck, yeah, man. Have you ever gone to see here. him? Cause he's come to Des Moines a few times. Um, no, I, I was supposed to get tickets for one of the times he came, but no. Yeah. I, I unfortunately seen. missed it, but I had a couple close friends of mine that attended, um, the show at Hoyt Sherman, which is a cool old venue here in Des Moines, Iowa. Yeah. Um, and he's done at least one, one uh, appearance there where he, you know, he does his spoken word and I'm going to not going to miss it the next time he comes to town. Not at for all. Sure. I mean, so. the guy can tell some stories and the cool yeah. thing is that a lot of those spoken word discs are out there. If you haven't checked him out, you should, but I mean, in all seriousness, yeah, you should check out black flag too. hundred percent. You should, ch- you should listen to this album. I listened to it two and a half times. I'm going to listen to it again. I'm going to buy this one on vinyl. Definitely. How about you? No, you're not. You're not there. Yeah, that's okay. Listen, (laughs) I'm not. um, Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that I listened to it. Yeah, because again, it felt to me like looking at the bottom of a like I I was looking at the trunk of, you know, especially West Coast punks family tree. Yeah. You know, Um, it was cool to hear that. Like I said, the Henry Rollins definitely that I listened to when I was younger is the same Henry Rollins that started with Black Flag, but yeah, you know. But this is this and uh, Stooges were my two favorite records of the week uh, of the, for the of the listening for this week, and it's not that I like this one more than the Stooges, but for some reason I wanted to listen to it again, so I just you know I did. Here's one that'll 
that'll maybe blow your mind a little bit. So this list was originally done in 2003, looked remarkably different than the list that they re-came out with this year. Do you know where this thing, because this thing was on the original list too. Do you know where it was? No, is it further up? 340. Wow, that's a massive difference. Yeah. So, and, I'm, and, and, and I look at where it's at now from 340 down to 487 and... To me, that like, and I don't know what the number is going to be. Maybe it's the bottom 100, meaning 400 through 500. Maybe it's 450 through 500. There's some number of these that I feel like is an appropriate place. Is what you're thinking? Well, not just that it's an appropriate place, but when when the, when the editorial staff was putting this list together, they were looking at this as okay, we have to include this, but almost more like an honorable mention because of again what it did influentially. Because the first list. Was just editorial staff. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. And this. I'll do uh, some more research on that yeah. in the next week. Well, that way yeah. We we'll make sure we're not misrepresenting. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, fun, that's though. a huge difference though. That, that's, that's a massive difference. 340 yeah. something to to 487. Um, wherever it is, I think it belongs on the list. I don't feel super strongly about moving it up, but I think it, I think it belongs on the list and I'm, I will, I will listen to this one again because I, you know, I'm a big fan of Black Flag. After listening to this and another band that I really, I mean, I've I knew a couple tunes, but nothing off this record, and I had not spent the time that I should have with these guys before. So yeah, I'm glad we went through this one. Certainly worth a listen. I, like I'm way more passionate about the Stooges, but I'm with you. Like, I get that. I well, get that. Actually, no, I'm not with you. So what? Go ahead. Because actually my, so I had two favorite albums this week too, but uh, but my other really favorite album was the next one coming up, which I'm ashamed to say that I had almost no experience with. Uh, yeah, uh, I like the next one too. But so what do you think about, do you see some direct influence between the Stooges and this one? There had to be, right? Because the, the, the Stooges were proto-punk. Like yep. as I said, you know, garage rock that influenced the punk movement. So I think it's an interesting little, you know, cross section of music to look at the progression of the Stooges in 1969 to 11 years later. Uh, yeah, 12 years later mm -hmm. to Black Flag Damaged. Yes, um, I'm you with know. you 100. percent Yeah, and there are definitely some consistencies. I mean, in the if simplistic else, song structure, in the flailing guitar. You know? Yes, yeah, and that's exactly where I was going. Right, the. The emotion, yeah. The emotion that a song can carry without any type of real musical technicality, yeah. And the Stooges maybe were a little more technical mm -hmm. and a little more melody oriented. You know what? No, I disagree. I I only disagree with that from the standpoint of I think that when the Stooges recorded that record, they couldn't take the chances that Black Flag could take. Maybe that's what it was. Just because I it, don't know. Because I mean. Sorry, you go ahead. Finish well, I just I feel like society was more um even in nineteen sixty nine, right? I mean your post summer of love, your post all that stuff. But it's, it's a big difference, but yeah in, in between nineteen sixty nine and nineteen eighty one. But hundred percent. So I think I mean when I say more focused on melody with the Stooges, I think that's true. Cause I think I mean, for me, he did remind me a little bit of Mick Jagger in in the sense that they do this thing where they dance around a melody. Like there's a melody that they're singing, you can hear what it is. Maybe they're not actually singing it. <laughs> That's another thing is like, because I've like, I've covered Rolling Stone songs quite a bit and not to get off topic, but uh, um, it, as a musician myself and like Mick Jagger, like, well, 
like I'll I'll play a song, like a Rolling Stones song, and I'll sing it and I'll play it a million times and I'll and I'll kind of get to the basics of the melody for the vocal part, and I'll go back and listen to it and I realize wow that's not what he's saying at all. He like implied the melody in this roundabout <laughs> Mick Jagger way. You yeah. know what I mean? Yep. And I think that that's kind of reminded me of how Iggy was doing it with the Stooges. It's like there's definitely a melody that he's singing, mm-hmm. but he's singing it in his own way, in a, in a roundabout way, using his inflection to emphasize different parts of it and stuff. And I think the difference was Black Flag was, was essentially just yelling. There was really no... Well, but, in, I, <laughs> but like I said, I loved it, you know? But This is... Um my take on Black Flag, and I and I kept thinking about Black Flag relative to everything that came after Black Flag. Yeah. Right? And what I feel like the distinction is, is that Black Flag were kids with no musical talent that wanted to make music. Yeah. And everything after were people with really, re- with lots of musical talent that wanted to make punk music. Yeah. And punk music being basically what Black Flag ended up getting called. So you're saying that Black Flag was, in your opinion, one of the pioneers yeah. and that they just set out to do, to they just wanted to make some music and that's just what came out. And then yeah. other bands were like, oh, we're a little more musically informed and we want to specifically make this kind of music. Very much so. Yeah. That's, you know, that's an astute observation. <laughs> okay. You what do you do think? It? Should we move on? Yeah. yeah. All right. This is one's you, Mike. 486. Back in 2006, so there's no way this thing could have been on the first list. Uh, John Mayer's album Continuum, uh, the staff reports, after establishing himself as a post-Dave Matthews heartthrob, (laughs) John Mayer grew into his soul and blues ambitions for a subtly crafted album aided by ace musicians like guitarist Ben Harper and Charlie Hunter, drummer, producer Steve Jordan, and jazz trumpeter Ray Hargrove. From the smooth, hi-fi, tinged soul of vultures to waiting for the world to change, a deceptively knowing and self-aware take on generational apathy. Yeah. So this is one that last week I think I probably mentioned on the episode that I was excited for Mike to listen to this because he had never really been exposed to, or at least not really with any kind of thought to this record. No, right? not at all. Yeah. So we're probably both, you could say, decent John Mayer fans. Can, yeah. I, can I say that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're, we're both dead fans. And uh, these days he's playing with the dead in the form of the dead and company. So, I mean, it's hard not to be a fan, at least with that in mind. But uh, um, this is a record that I've listened to several times before, um, but it was pretty new to Mike. So what did you think, Mike? This You obviously like this one a lot, like you said before. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, really, like, I can't believe that I can't believe that I'd never listened to it. And even the song that I'd heard hundreds of times, right? Um, Gravity. For the, oh, no, that waiting too? for the okay, world yeah. to change. Okay. Gravity yeah. was a first listen for me. Like, I had never. Really? Yeah, I'd never. Oh, my God. I mean, if I had heard Gravity, like, I, I heard it passing on the radio and I never paid any attention to who it was or anything like that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that I heard it on the radio, but it's not like I ever stopped myself and was like, oh, my God, is this John Mayer? Yeah. Like I just didn't do that. And waiting for the world to change was just impossible to avoid. But even that song in listening to it and really listening to what he's saying, man, I didn't, I didn't even realize that this is basically an anti-war record. Yeah. I mean, from a millennial standpoint, yeah, (laughs) two or three of them. And that's the weirdest, I mean, not the weirdest part, but it was like, it was like an anti-war anthem for nihilists. 
Yeah, and I was gonna say, do you think it's maybe a little like a little privileged? <laughs> the song in general, the whole the whole vibe of it is like a little like, you know what? We'll figure it out when we need to, you know, but luckily <laughs> we're taken care of for now. So <laughs> I mean like for some people they can't fucking wait on the world to change. You know what I mean? <laughs> The, listen, this is not a Black Lives Matter theme. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's not, right? Yeah. It's not. But at the same time, I feel like in 2006, I kind of get I kind of get where he was coming from, only from the standpoint of, you know, I was in college from 2000 to 2004, like during the, the Iraq war and the lead up to the Iraq war and then the fucking aftermath of the Iraq war. It was just like, I kind of get, I, listen, I... I listened to those lyrics and I was like, yeah, I get that. So I was just trying to play devil's advocate there because I think that you could interpret it that way. But I think it, the, the way that the proper way is that he, you know, it's just trying to represent a feeling of helplessness and that you really can't have a whole lot of effect on the world um, because you're too young. You know, did you get that from it? Yeah, I did. But, um, but then, at, okay. So listen, so we've been talking about, Waiting on the world to change, but um, god damn it! Oh, belief lyrically, um, and and again, I don't like I don't know how much of this you were kind of going through and exploring the lyrics of, but but the song belief lyrically was fascinating to me because that's like that's another it's another anti war song to me, you know, but it wasn't it was. I'm not going to say super, it wasn't incredibly well veiled. I have no memory of the lyrics from belief. Can you remind me? <laughs> um, I mean, not without looking them up, but in a nutshell, or just of the vibe. I in mean, a nutshell, the vibe was that um, I'm trying to remember how the bridge of the chorus went. It was something to the effect of um, like, you can't wage a war against somebody that believes something entirely different from you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, and it was basically like, you can't fight a war against an idea, which, which that again, you know, music transports us all to different places for different reasons, but especially given the year of 2006 and just what it was like to be in college during all of that shit. Mm -hmm. um that like those were ideas that i talked about with my friends right the idea that trying to even just now, even today right like we still talk about this idea of the war on terror and the war against terrorism that's listen that's you're fighting an idea yeah and that's a fucking if at best it's a thankless task and in all reality it's probably a task that is that's not winnable yeah no you know? definitely and so, so it's definitely an interesting topic to write a song about yeah yeah and, he, and i mean he did it time and time again too um yeah there were definitely quite a few um so for me there's two different approaches we can take to this record because it's sure. really multifaceted you can talk about it from a musical standpoint and you can talk about it from a lyrical standpoint. And yeah. I think they're very different, you know, diametrically opposed on this record. I agree. A lot of the songs were, so I like the songs like belief that were, you know, dealing with those kind of topics, but I, the, I don't know if I like listening to John Mayer sing love songs. I just get <laughs> kind of annoyed. And this comes from someone who likes John Mayer, which I mean, this is a hard one also because I feel like it's kind of cool to not like John Mayer. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like these fucking pretentious assholes like, oh, you know, John, like look down on John Mayer, which I'm like, fuck you. John Mayer's obviously good. Get over it. It's it's the truth. Okay. So he's just be super, okay with it. You know? He's super talented. I feel like the only yeah. people that really want to hate on John Mayer are the people that are like, that dude shouldn't get the chicks that he gets. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. That could be a factor, but I definitely come across this quite a bit of just people that yeah. it's cool to not like John Mayer. Our and, friend Lee. And, you know? Yeah. Our friend Lee won't listen friend, to yeah. Dead and Company because of because of John Mayer. He's just got a he's got a John Mayer block. So that's a real Lee. thing. Get yeah. over it. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, because I mean there, there's so for me, and I'm this is coming from the standpoint of a John Mayer fan, there were definitely some duds on this record for me. Okay. What's the biggest dud for you? The biggest dud, probably I don't trust myself with loving you. I don't care about it at all. It doesn't make me feel anything. I think it's unnecessary. You know, I'm okay with, that. um, I felt similar about, uh, I kind of wrote that about belief. I hate to say that after you spoke That's all right. that about that, um, Listen. slow dancing in a burning room. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was a really cool guitar solo on it, but the, just a lot of, just mostly the love songs, which belief wasn't that, but, uh, most of the love songs that he, that, that he does were it just, I get annoyed, but then he always like redeems it with a super fucking badass guitar solo. I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, I do like John Mayer. <laughs> so, I, I, this is what I will say, and this is something that really stood out to me is that compositionally, and and to me, I loved this album because of like a bunch of different songs transported me to a, to a really specific time in my life that was it was important and and there's other songs and i and i want to talk about um stop the train because yeah because there's definitely songs that um that just lyrically spoke to me in a way that it's rare right it it doesn't always work and about topics that not a lot of people talk about either but um but where i was going with all this is compositionally this album is for the most part really simplistic and that stands out, or it stood out to me most with Bold as Love, right? Because he does the Jimmy cover, um, Bold as Love on here. And when you get to Bold as Love, you start to get these um, different, um, I don't think Axis has a different time signature necessarily, but it's got, um, it's got, like, it's, it's not just, a straightforward feel, right? And And part of that is just the way that Jimmy recorded it, you know, because the vocals don't, always fall on the one three right like it which well, jimmy's just loosey-goosey with his vocals so and john and john did it he, he, yeah right i think it's a good cover um and i love the song i think it's maybe a little self-indulgent to put it on the record because i think sure. he just wanted to play it you know it's like he's like i just like bold as love so i'm gonna you know record it i don't know why it's on there like do you know why it's on there no because i, I can't think I'm of a good you. reason you it know? doesn't it, like it doesn't really fit thematically Except for with the the, the the themes of love, I guess, but like, yeah. it, but but the the lyrics of that, it's just like a psychedelic. It, it, you know, it doesn't. It, maybe the title, if you just took the title, if but, you yeah, yeah. If you just looked at the title, you'd be like, oh, well, that's a love song. Yeah, it's a love and song, but it's really not. You not know? at all. And I did not like what he did with the chorus when he did the no boldest love like that a little addition of the like little walk down with the love it just ruined it for me the whole the chorus it's a wash <laughs> like <laughs> you know um but the I guitar work was fucking top notch that's the, the thing solo, is like the, the guitar solo work, in that song is fucking money it's oh my really god good. the whole fucking record though yeah 
is ridiculous from a guitar standpoint. That, yeah. that, that's that's the whole redeeming thing is, and I don't I, I don't like I don't dislike the songs, but like I said, there's a couple duds for me. But the whole thing is redeemed. This is a fantastic guitar record. Every song on this record has some mind blowing guitar work. He's undoubtedly one of the best guitar players alive right now. Yeah, I like agree literally. If you don't think that, you're wrong. <laughs> so, I love his I love his tone of his yeah. guitar too and he's and he's one of these guys that when you listen to his solo when you you know when you listen to this album or heavier things or um what the hell is it round square or square round something whatever um you can tell that it's John Mayer but at the same time when you listen to John play with Dead and Company Man, I love like I think he does a really good job of capturing Jerry's tone. Too yeah, in you Dead can tell that with Dead and Company, you can tell that he's like injecting the perfect amount of himself, but also trying to be somewhat faithful to the overall sound of the band. Yeah, he's throwing know? it up like he's tra- he's trying to keep it original. But I want I do want to go back to Stop the Train because Stop the Train, okay. another song that lyrically, listen, you don't you don't hear a ton of guys talking about. Um, like you just don't get a whole lot of existential crisis songs, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and that's there were really, a couple on this one. <laughs> I, know, yeah. I know, I know, but this was the one that, um, which I experienced, so I can, you know, <laughs> dude, I'm I love right it. there with him. Yeah. I really like, I, I really, really love that song. As like, I'm 43, and as a 43 year old person, um, yeah, I, I connect like this song. This song spoke to me in a way that I'm just like, wow. It's really good. I like the song exactly. a lot. I do think it's maybe unnecessarily long. What do you think about that? Because it was like six minutes long. Fuck, was it really? I think so. It was pretty long. I'll, maybe we should look that up. I'll I'll believe you. I it didn't feel it didn't feel like it was six minutes to me. It's got a cool like fingerstyle guitar riff to it, mm-hmm. and uh, I love the like the the ending of it, like the climax, the final chorus is is really nice. Um, yeah. So for me. <laughs> Waiting on the world to change is almost another dud for me. I hate mm. to say that, but maybe it's just the overplayed factor. It got beat to shit. It could be that, but I don't know. It's just... I mean, it really got beat to shit on the radio, so I'm not going to... I Listen, I wouldn't fault you. But so the, the highlights that. for me, let me let me just go through the highlights. I liked Heart of Life a lot. Do you remember that one? That kind of acoustic-y one, the Heart of Life. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of Fleetwood Mac a little bit. Yeah. I, like for me, I, the words I wrote down were happy and simple. Yeah, definitely happy and simple. Uh, Vultures is a fucking great song. Yep. The chorus on that one is just really, really nice. Um, and Gravity. I mean, everybody knows the Gravity. It's such a good song. Um, and I, I literally wrote this down that if you don't, if you tell me you don't like Gravity, I assume you're just lying. <laughs> because I, I assume you're just saying that just because you think that that's a, you know, a, you're putting out some kind of, you know, picture of yourself by saying that because gravity is an objectively good tune. There's nothing bad that can be said about it. It's a great song. Um, another highlight of this record was Steve Jordan on the drums for me. Mm-hmm. So fucking good. He's, yeah. he's ridiculous. The whole, listen, the whole rhythms, the, every part about this album instrumentally was um it was, it was really good yeah right it was tight it was good yeah dreaming with a broken heart i thought it was maybe a little too michael buble ish 
Yep. Yeah, <laughs> very much I mean? so. Yep. But there's a really cool bridge on it, like the little piano. There's a piano bridge, and just listen to the to the bridge of that song, and you'll you'll know what I'm you'll talking have about. It. But yeah. yeah, I can't disagree with that. Can't disagree with that a bit. Um, I also really liked the last. I well, it was the last song that I took notes on. Anyway, I'm gonna find another you. Yeah, it's the last one on there. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> Short little jazzy <laughs> tune. Yeah. The song is. Like my favorite line in that song is he is he says yeah I'm gonna find another girl like you and I'm even gonna I'm I'm even gonna have her look like you yeah <laughs> well like I wrote down like really at its heart this is kind of a breakup record yes don't you think so yeah and that I mean, last... breakup or existential crisis or the world is coming to an end or oh but fuck. he's clearly referencing a specific breakup throughout many a couple, songs yeah through many songs yeah, yeah and there's definitely like offshoots to existential dread and stuff like yes. that. But he's definitely talking a lot about a lot about a breakup that he went through. And so the I'm gonna find another you was like the cathartic climax to that. And it's a it's a funny little short jazz tune. Nice diminished chords, kind of like a big band sound almost. Yes. So But it's um listen, it's um I I thoroughly Listen, I thoroughly enjoyed the album. Like, I'm yeah. glad to have discovered it. I, I did. I added it to my library. I'll go back and revisit it. You gonna buy it on vinyl? Um, yeah, yeah, I could buy this album on vinyl. Do you think it belongs on the list? Mm. I'm okay with where it's at. I'm all right with that. I'm good with it being on the list. Yeah, I'm a John Mayer fan, and I think that he's definitely had a certain contribution to music, and it's worth noting. So I'd put them on the list for sure. And I think it's in a good place. Yeah. I don't really want to see it moved up. Not that I would lament that, but I mean, I think it's in a, I think it's 486 is a good spot for this record. Yeah. I'm with you on that too. All right. Anything else you want to say about John Mayer at all? No, I don't think so. I mean, listen, if you haven't heard it, if you were a dipshit like me and just slept on it, just fucking stop sleeping on it. Go listen to it. There's good tunes. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of good tunes. um, What's coming up? Yeah, next week. Next week, we're going to be going through 485 through 41. So we we will be talking about 45. Richard and Linda Thompson, the name of the album, I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight. That's from 1974. Um, 484, coming back, uh, Lady Gaga, Born This Way, her album from 2011. In 483, uh, okay. <laughs> we might want to dedicate some time to this one because at spot 483 is going to be uh, the Muddy Waters Anthology, which will hopefully be available. Hopefully, we won't have to fucking watch it on YouTube. Oh, man. It says 50 cuts. Do you see that? There's 50 songs on this record. I haven't. I haven't looked at the number. This is going to be another another Whew. long one. Yeah. Uh, 482 is going to be The Far Side, Bizarre Ride 2, The Far Side. Have you, do you have any experience with that album? I don't even know who that is. Oh, This fuck. came out in 1992, yes. which was the year after I was born. I think that this is our first I'm I'm scrolling back through the list just to make sure. Yeah, this is our first legit uh rap album. Like hip hop. Okay. Yeah. Is it rap? Okay. Yes. A hundred percent. West Coast. Um, early nineties West Coast rap. Uh listen, I do have experience with this album. I was introduced to this album when I was like a senior in high school and all I can say is fuck, fuck yeah. Like that's Hell gonna yeah. be that's cool. gonna be fun for well, you. I'm excited. And then the last uh, at 41 is going to be Bill and Sebastian from their 1996 album, If You're Feeling Sinister. So 
Cool. Uh, we'll put that in the liner notes for the show if you want to play along. Once again, uh, listen, send us an email. Tell us what we're fucking yeah. up. Tell us what we're doing great. This list sucks at gmail.com. And recommend lists. We, we, we like that. We want yeah. we want more lists. We actually got an email this uh, this yes. week. Um, and we want to do a quick shout out to Linda Brundies because she sent us an email and she recommended uh, a list for us to uh, get into. So uh, yeah. Linda will probably get to that list eventually. I think I actually took a look at it and uh, I think it would make a, it, a good one? it would be good fodder for this. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. Linda, listen, thank you so much. Um, anybody else, if you got out there, questions, comments, um, lists for us to go through at some point in time, especially if they're shorter lists, um, because we do plan on taking a break from the 500. Um, it's just this is such we're a marathon. Yeah. Plus it sucks so bad. This fucking list. It does know? fucking blow. And so, you know, we're going to, we're going to take some breaks with some mini sods and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll put all this in the liner notes that way, if you want to play along and listen ahead of time, but as always, um, Listen, thanks for listening. Thanks Thank for you your- so much. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we look forward to talking to you next weekend about why this list continues to suck. Yeah. I mean, we're hoping it gets better, but as of now, projected, it sucks. So <laughs> see you guys next week. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.